Good morning. Hey, we're grateful that you guys are here uh, this morning, and uh, we uh, look forward to our time together, and um, I pray that it's a, uh, a real blessing to you. I don't know if you can, can you guys hear me at all? Okay, awesome. Good deal. Um, today is a little bit different uh, than uh, most Sundays at Stone Point. When I say it's a little bit different, what I mean is uh, is that today uh, you're going to hear some things that you typically don't hear on a Sunday morning uh, at Stone Point. What I want to do, and I do it every single year on the very first weekend, you know when I'm going to do it, you know why I'm going to do it, uh, is we do vision uh, every year. And this year is Vision 2015. And so today, if you're a new guest with us, like this is the very first time you've ever come to Stone Point, uh, you're here and like you're, you came and you're looking for this awesome message and uh, you, you may just not get it today. And so we encourage you to really look to come back next week. We're, we're still going to have a message. I still have something uh, that I feel like God's laid on our heart. But you're also going to hear a lot about who we are and about what's uh, been happening over the, the course of the last year, about what God's done here uh, about how we move forward, about uh, what we continue to do. And so you're going to hear lots of numbers. You're going to hear lots of information. And uh, the goal is not for it to feel like a business meeting uh, at all. But at the same time, we always want you to know what God has been doing. And we want you to know where he wants us to go. And so like the premise of today is simply this, to remember all that God has done. I know so many times we get involved in our own church things and we're kind of doing what we're used to doing and we show up to church on Sunday and uh, we, we go to our journey groups and we do all of these different things and we just kind of forget sometimes to take it all in and remember all that God has done. And so like that's the goal for us today is just to remember all that God has done and to, to thank him for the direction that he's leading us as we move forward. And so God's got a lot of big things and I just don't want you to ever forget it because the day that you forget all that God is doing, the day that we forget to continue to put that out there right in front of us about all that God's doing here is the day that we start turning intrinsically focused. We start worrying about things that really don't matter. We start arguing, we start bickering, uh, we start talking about pew colors and carpet colors and things that are on the wall. And quite frankly, here at Stone Point, we don't care about any of those things. All we care about is life change. We care about how people are moving forward in their faith. We care about how people are being changed for the gospel. And so that's our goal today. And my prayer is if you're a first-time guest, that you walk away and you go, wow, God is good. I hope that you don't walk away today and go, oh, all they're concerned about is numbers. Because that's not the case. Matter of fact, that's not our heart at all. And the more you get to know our leadership, the more you get to know uh, really what drives us, we want to be God-centered and gospel-centered. And so we're going to share a lot of numbers, but every single number that we share represents a name. And every single name represents a person. And every person is meaningful to Jesus Christ. And he's changed their life, and he's using them for gospel-centered things. And that's our prayer, that we would remember that today. So um, at Stone Point, we really exist for four reasons. We want to connect people to God. We want to connect people to others. We want to connect people in and we want to connect people to the world. And so what that means is this. We believe every single person here should have a, a meaningful relationship with God. 
We believe that because of the great gift of his son, Jesus Christ, who tabernacled among us, that every single one of us should have a vibrant, growing relationship with God. And you're like, well, Brandon, my, my relationship with God's not growing. It's not real vibrant. Well, that's why we are here. And our goal is, is to help you see who God is and about what he wants to do in your life. And as you become more in love with Jesus Christ, as you begin to follow him more devoutly with your life, then our next step for you is to get plugged in with other people, that you would begin to walk along with other people, that you would get plugged in with others. We call that uh, journey groups or small group Bible studies. And so our goal is, is to connect you with God, connect you with others, and then as you get connected with others, what do we want to do? We want to help you get plugged in to service, connect somewhere within the local body. That means you could be parking, it could be greeting, you could be making sure that there's coffee made or that there's donuts available. It could be in our kids' ministry. Oh, please, Lord, not our kids' ministry. Uh, it could be in our student ministry. It could be uh, here, wherever. There are so many places that you can be a part of it, but in service is within the body, and then connecting to the world is outside of the body. And so we know that there's people outside of these walls that right now they're in their bed sleeping and next week they're going to be at church for the first time in a long time. We know that there's people right now that they hadn't been to church in five years, but this year they're going to come to Stone Point and they're not only going to come, but they're going to connect to a journey group, they're going to get plugged into service and they're going to find a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and it may be because of you in your chair right now. And so that's why we do what we do. And that's why it's so important that you know what God's doing here. And so let me just kind of share with you um, just kind of what God has done in terms of connecting people to him. Uh, Last year at this time when we did Vision 2014, uh, we were averaging about 500 people uh, on a weekend at Stone Point. Uh, We closed the year averaging a little over 720 people a weekend at Stone Point. Amen? You can clap for that, okay? <laughs> and what's interesting is, though, is that while we average 720 a week, um, that really doesn't even begin to tell the tale. Within the last six or seven weeks, and it's been this, last, it's been this way for the last four months, every six to seven weeks, we have approximately 1,400 people that come to Stone Point. And so you're going, okay, now that's crazy. You have a 700 disparity. Yes, matter of fact, here's what's interesting. This weekend, if everything goes as planned, we'll have 720 people here. That's about 565 adults, 570 adults. The rest are kids. And then get this, we'll email this week about another 180 adults and we'll, you'll get something in your inbox, and it'll say, hey, we missed you this week. Or, hey, we, we hope to see you again. Hope all is well. Hope you had a great new year. And so if you can take that, you have 720 here, and you have 180 adults plus their children who aren't here. That gives you about 1,000 people that are at Stone Point right now that we call Stone Point their church home. Now, what's interesting about that is this, is that you can take it to the bank every single weekend right now, and until God changes it, we have 720 on average, and then you always have that same group to email. And you go, well, you, I don't miss every week. No, we have, a, we have this cycle. Every four weeks, you can see that there's going to be a group. Like, there's some of you that you made it, because this is the very first Sunday of the year, and you're like, I got to be there very first Sunday of the year. 
but you won't be back for two more weeks. And then you'll come back the last week, and you'll be here two, you'll be here two weeks, and you're making it 24 weeks out of the year, you know, or, or 25, 26 weeks of the year. And we praise God for that. But what we see is, is we're not real consistent all the way across the board in that area. Matter of fact, you remember us, uh, we did this series back in December. I don't know if you remember. It was a while back. Uh, but it was called All In. And one of the purposes of All In is to help people realize that in order for us to be all in, it means that we're all in. And one of the greatest levels of all-in participation is a weekly commitment to his church and saying, I want to be a part of it. I don't want to just be here once or twice. And so just know that that's where we are right now. Uh, This last year, we went from three services to four services. What's interesting is, is last January was the very first weekend that we went from two services to three services. And so uh, that's changed a lot over the course of the last year. Uh, This last year, we had over 1,000 people at Easter. Now, the year before, we had about 700 people at Easter. Now, here's what's interesting. When we actually hit Easter this last year, okay, uh, we had about 700 people coming. Uh, or very close to. And from, from Easter till the end of the year, we grew a little bit more and more. That made up our average. But what's interesting is, is what is our average? 720. Well, in 2013, which is a year and a half ago at Easter, okay, almost two years ago, we had about 700 people. This last year, we had 1,000. And so what we see is this. If it stays true, every year that we have something at Easter, Within the next year, we typically are there as a church in terms of actual attendance. So if we had 1,000 Easter last year in 2014, in April of 2014 or March, wherever that was, then get this, that's probably where we're going to be come March of this coming up year or April. And so that's one of the things that a, a church planting coach of mine said. He said, Brandon, if you're a growing, vibrant church, he said, whatever you had at Easter the year before, He said, your church ought to imitate that. It shouldn't just be one-time thing. And so he said, you ought to see growth like that. And so far, that's exactly what we've seen. And so that kind of gives you an idea. Now, the cool thing about all of this is that that's a bunch of numbers. But the numbers that matter most to me are that this last year, we had over 65 people come to Jesus Christ. And 61 of those were baptized, okay? That's actually up from 2013. We had 39 the whole year, and so we had 61 people baptized, uh, which is an incredible thing to see what God's doing. And uh, it's even more incredible to see uh, that at Stone Point, so many times, it's not just our young kids. It's it's adults. It's parents. It's sometimes grandparents that are coming to faith, and their whole family tree is being changed as a result of what God has done in their life. And so it's an amazing, amazing thing. And then the last thing that kind of relates to this area is that we actually were able to hire Mark Johnson, our worship pastor. And uh, the reason that that, you know, you you think, whoa, he's the guy that connects people to God or what, you know? Uh, But he actually oversees that area. And in that area of ministry, there's so many things that fit up under that for us personally. Um, He oversees our front door experience. He makes sure that this morning goes smoothly and that all uh, things as far as this morning go well, that people can literally come in and be a part of a church where unchurched people like to attend. And so Mark oversees all of that. He oversees our starting point class. He oversees so many things um, that are happening. And so we just praise God that he uh, gave us a man to oversee this connection to God peace 
uh, even though he's not the mediator that you need. The mediator you need is Jesus Christ. And so he's the one who connects us ultimately to God. But Mark is the guy here that kind of allows us to facilitate that area. Now, as far as connecting people to others, uh, last year in January, we started out with about 20 journey groups. Over the course of this last year, we actually added eight more journey groups. And so right now, we have 28 journey groups at Stone Point, and we have about 270 adults that are in those journey groups. Now, that's pretty cool because that's half of our adults are basically in journey groups. Now, we have a long way to go there, but that's actually up from the previous year. And while we're so excited about that, we have a long way to go here. We also have uh, our kids' ministry, which on average uh, in 2013, uh, particularly this time last year, had about 115 kids. Right now, we average well over 150 kids on a Sunday morning, a lot of times even up to 175 or 180 kids on a weekend at Stone Point. And so you kind of know where that's going, and I can't tell you how many numbers of small groups actually break out from large groups, but it's a lot uh, in terms of journey groups in our kids' ministry. And then in our student ministry, last year at this time, we had about 65 students coming on Wednesday nights. We now have about 115 on average uh, that come on, I'm sorry, that's not right, um, yeah, 110 on average on Wednesday evenings, and they have 11 journey groups. Now, what's crazy is if you take all the number of our kids, and you take our adults, you take all that, every single week at Stone Point, we have over 550 people in journey groups, okay? And so if you take 550, and then our, take our weekly average of 720, you have over 70% of your people actually in journey groups. And so that's a pretty amazing thing uh, because we oftentimes don't think of it like that. And so uh, God's really good there, and we're seeing a lot of connections and a lot of discipleship take place, and uh, we're seeing God do some amazing things there. Uh, as far as the connect to service piece, uh, we have seen a lot of people, many of you in here have actually connected in service, meaning that you found a place to get plugged in. And uh, as I look around today, there's several of you like, you're not even making eye contact with me because you're like, I'm not plugged into service yet. And that's okay. That's what our goal is this year. But this last year, what's incredible is, is we went from uh, <coughs> about 140 to 150 volunteers at Stone Point to over 300 volunteers at Stone Point. And so Brian Tate is over this area, and uh, he is a mastermind at connecting people in service. And he helps connect you, get you trained, plugged in. If it doesn't work there, he helps you find another place. But this last year alone, he actually helped plug in 140-plus more volunteers. Forty of those actually have been plugged in within just the last two and a half or three months. And so God is really good, and here's the thing, too, is you look at this area, and you go, man, that's incredible, and it actually is very incredible. You have 300 adult volunteers, but let's also remember, how many adults do we have per weekend? We have 565 plus another 180 adults that are typically out every weekend, and so you look there, and you go, wow, we still have a lot of volunteers that we could have, and that's true, and so we just encourage you, be praying about how God could plug you in here to make a real radical difference for the cause of Christ. And then the last area that we want to plug people in is the connect to the world piece. Now, this is one of the areas that I think oftentimes gets the most notoriety because I think it's, it's one of the areas that we do really well in the sense of we always want to reach people outside of our, our building, right? We don't want to just be inward focused. The lifeblood, the reason that you have 
60 plus people come to faith in Jesus Christ is because of the connect to world peace. The reason that you connect to the world, the reason you do all the things I'm about to tell you about is so that eventually someone has what? A personal relationship with God, they get plugged in with others and they find a place in the church to serve. That's why we connect to the world is so that we see people's lives be changed. Amen? Yes. So here's a few things that have happened. Um, We've had numerous mission uh, opportunities. When I say mission opportunities, I'm not just talking about mission trips, okay? I'm not just talking about the, the two or three trips that we took to Mexico this last year. We have a group leaving this coming up Saturday to Mexico again. I'm not talking about the two trips that went to Guatemala. I'm not talking about... Um, the, the trip to Costa Rica, all of those connect to the world. But I'm also talking about Canton Project Rehab. I'm talking about the Bluebird Festivals. I'm talking about uh, the Christmas on the Bricks, the Heritage Festival. I'm talking about all the mission opportunities that you have. Uh, if you remember Adopt the Highway, we did that three times this last year, picking up trash. I'm talking about all of these different things, the back-to-school fair. You remember that? Uh, making sure kids had uh, things. I'm talking about Sonic drinks here in Wills Point. We added Sonic drinks at Edgewood this year, which was an incredible thing and had a great response. We also helped plant two new churches this year. We helped fund two new churches uh, which is incredible because we've actually helped plant four since Stone Points first started. And so it's incredible to see that as churches helped us when we were first going, that's a part of our DNA. And we're also plugging in and helping other people. Um, it's incredible also to see that we have been able to give to uh, MANA monthly, making sure that that food ministry and the food bank in Canton has been able to supply needs. And we've been working with them. And we're also, what, adding additional strategic partners this coming up year to see continued ministry take place. Matter of fact, on one Sunday this last year, on uh, the 14th of December, we raised, our goal was $50,000, and we raised, what, almost $66,000 to give away to five strategic partners. We assisted dozens and dozens of families this year out of our own church and in this community with benevolence needs. Matter of fact, those needs are over $33,000 that literally we just gave away. And so uh, you see that. We see over $40,000 of church planting, international missions. We have literally just began to uh, be an opportunity an opportunity for many organizations and not only organizations, but people who are doing things that we can't necessarily do on our own. And so we are a very, very giving church. We give lots away. And matter of fact, this year won't be any different. Uh, we're looking to add additional resources and help in many, many ways. One of the things that we felt so strongly about this year is this, is that we looked at our budget and after talking to a handful of different people, One of the things we noticed about all churches, are y'all ready for this? Every church in America has a very difficult problem reaching what we would call world A missions, meaning people who never hear the gospel. Matter of fact, 99.9% of all resources go to world B and world C mission opportunities. The United States is world C. Okay, 98% of our budget this last year went to World A, meaning that's things like benevolence, that's things like church planting here. And so we looked at that and we go, that's a really good thing. We also had another about 2% that goes to what? World B. And we look up 
and we're not doing anything in world A. World A are people that in their lifetime, they may, if they're lucky, get to hear the name of Jesus one time. Meaning that if you were to go to India today and you were to say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus or have you, have you heard of Jesus? They would say this, hey, we've never heard of him. He might live at the village down the road. And so this year, one of the things that we felt strongly as, as a church and leadership, is that we keep the same giving track record that we have right now in World B and World C, but that World A, we match what we've done. And so we're actually devoted this year at least $50,000 going directly to World A. That's 10% of our upcoming budget to World A. And you're going, well, how in the world are we going to do that? We don't know. We just know that God's told us that we have to reach world A, that we have to give people the opportunity to hear about Jesus, and that's why we decided to do that. And that's substantial, and the reason why it's substantial is because just a few weeks ago, I told you that before the year end, our projected goal this this next year is $484,000 is what we kind of projected for an actual budget analysis going into 2015. After all of our final meetings, we realized that $484,000 may be what our track record shows that we could actually give. But here's what I also know, that that's really not true because we believe that God wants us to give more. And so here's what our final analysis comes to is about $560,000 this year. That's what we've set our budget, okay? That's $80,000 more than what we shared with you just a few weeks ago. Now, the reason I'm going to share that with you, and the reason that is because this last year, this is what was given, including the all-in offering, which was $65,000, okay, $66,000. We gave this last year $586,962. Got me? Our budget is going to be $20,000, $25,000 less than that. And so the question is, is can we give that? Yes, Matter of fact, if we give as generously as this church knows how, we will actually raise over $700,000 this year if that's how we want to give. But the thing is this, we know and we're coming to you right now and saying we need people to give graciously and generously because we know that right now we need about $560,000 to do everything we need to do that also makes up for the new campus at Edgewood, new staff and personnel, people to help, uh, like a campus pastor, a kids pastor, any of those people that help us with all those resources. All of that's figured into that 560. And so just know that's where we're going and that's what we need. This year, uh, we brought in 586,962, and we actually, expenditure wise, was 524. 877.96. And so we actually save money. As of right now, we have $126,958.44 in our bank account, uh, in which we have just for future growth and, and really just we like to have a, an ample supply of uh, being able to make sure that we never get in a bind here. And what's refreshing is we've all been a part of staff or teams or churches uh, that literally sometimes the question would come back, who's going to get paid? Are we going to pay Atmos Energy or are we going to pay our staff? And so that's not a problem that we have here at Stone Point. God has been good to us. Amen? And so uh, I hope that you see that, and I hope that you understand what I'm saying. God is good. There is an amazing work that's happening here that we're blessed to be a part of. 
I am absolutely blessed to be a part of. I pray that what you just heard was not a burden to you. I pray it was not overwhelming to you, but I pray that it was actually a joy to you to hear what God is doing and what he wants to continue to do. Now, here's the thing. As you go, okay, that's awesome. Where do we go from here? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm gonna tell you. Um, One of the things that I've been looking at are some things that actually plague the American church. Like, what are some of the, the greatest challenges that the American church has right now. Uh, there's a, a handful of guys that I've really pulled, for, pulled from and, and have just kind of been watching. <coughs> um, there's a guy who's a pastor in New York named Tim Keller. Uh, he has a lot to say about this issue. Um, you have guys like Tom Rayner, who's the president and CEO of Lifeway. Um, you have guys like George Barna and the Barna Research Group that they contribute largely to this, but here are four things that the American church is struggling with and uh, will continue to struggle with in the days ahead. One, there seems to be a large amount of apathy within the church, meaning there's a lot of people that in the church, you see a need for it, but you really don't want to be too involved. And when I say that, I'm not talking about Stone Point in general, I'm talking about the American church. And so there's a lot of people who they want to go, but they don't want to get involved. They want to listen to a sermon. They may want to sing a song, but they don't want to teach uh, a kid's class. They don't want to park a car. They don't want to greet anyone. Matter of fact, if they had their choice, they would walk in a few minutes after the service started. They would listen, and then they would walk out just as the final song plays, almost anonymously to not be noticed. I don't want anybody getting in my business. And really, that's where the apathy sits in because that's not the mark of a New Testament Christian. A New Testament Christian does not merely not want to be seen or not want to be known. They want to be what? Vibrantly growing. They want to connect to God. They want to connect with other people. They want to connect in service. And they want to use their gifts to connect with people outside of their own church so that they ultimately have a relationship with God. That's a New Testament Christian. And right now, the American church wants nothing to do with looking like a New Testament Christian. And so that's a huge disparity in the church. A number two struggle is this, is that unchurched people don't see the need of going to church anymore. There's many of you here that you were unchurched. Uh, and really, the unchurched is not really unchurched in America. It's actually de-churched. And that's what we call them. We call them de-churched. Meaning right now, are the unchurched people, eight out of ten unchurched people, people that aren't going to church right now, are actually de-churched. Meaning that there was one point in time in their life that they went to church. They actually ran into someone. There was a conflict. There was someone that treated them wrong. There was someone who talked to them, looked at their wife the wrong way, said something they shouldn't have said, did something they shouldn't have done, acted a way they shouldn't have acted, uh, handled funds the wrong way, made decisions that they shouldn't have made, and ultimately people left the church, and they wondered, why should I go back? It doesn't seem to be making a real difference. And that's where people have settled. The question is, is, do you believe that about your church? Do you believe that your church is making a real difference? Do you believe that we are actually fighting a fight that's a good fight, that we're actually being the hands and feet of Jesus, that there is life change? That's what's happening here. But there's so many people out and about in Van Zant County that don't believe that. Matter of fact, in Van Zant County alone, it is one of, in the state of Texas, the highest unchurched populations in the state. 70% of our 50,000 uh, people that live in Van Zant County don't go to church. Do the math. 
There's no reason for any church to be bickering about who gets who and about who gets what. There are plenty of people to be reached. And that is the reason that we feel so strongly about continuing to go and reach people. And there are many of you, even in this room, that you may wonder, why do we go to Edgewood? Like, why can't they just drive seven miles? Like, why would we, why would we not just have them? Doesn't it make more sense just to have them come here? Actually, no, because what we see is this, is Jesus always went to people. And here's what, here's what a church person would say. Why don't they just come to us? The problem is this. I have no desire to be a church person. I want to be like Jesus. I want to go to people and I want to reach them at their lowest place. I want them to know that we care about them so much that we're willing to go to their community or any community for that matter, wherever it is that the Spirit leads us so that people are reached for the kingdom of God. And that's the heartbeat. And the reason we do that is because right now there are people in Edgewood who they do not believe that there's a church that really matters. There's not a church that's valuable, that there's not a church that's actually making a difference. Now the question is this, is that true? I can't say that. It could be their perception, but here's the deal. I know that everybody's perception is a reality, isn't it? And so whatever they've perceived is what they believe to be true. And so the question is, is why do we do something different? Is because we want them to know that, hey, you can be de-churched, but there is a church for you. And there's a place where you can belong. There's a place where you can, with all of your imperfections, become more like Jesus Christ for his purposes, for his glory, for his kingdom. And uh, here's the crazy thing is, right, is this right now, is that if you took the United States, um, 156 million unchurched people, it would actually make up the ninth largest nation in the world. And you think we're a Christian nation, but there's about a six million, uh, six million uh, difference between unchurched or de-churched people in our nation and church people. And so about 50% of our nation or 53% of our nation does not go to church. And so I, I just want you to know that uh, there's plenty, plenty of people to be reached. The third thing is this, is that Christians right now are not adequately prepared to give a response for the hope they have in Jesus Christ. First Peter tells us that we need to prepare to give a, what an answer for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But what's interesting is, is many of the people, even in this room, but particularly all the way across American churches, if people were to ask you a strong question about your faith, you would not be prepared to give an answer for it. You would have to say, I don't know, uh, let me call my journey group leader or let me call my pastor. Let me find someone else. What's interesting is, is even pastors right now are not qualified to even give answers to people. And here's what I know. The baby boomer generation, not taking a knock at you, not taking a shot at you, but what they knew from their parents was this, is that you just have to have faith. You just have to have faith. You just have to trust that God's right. You just have to believe the good book. But you've never studied the good book. You never really dug into it enough to be able to give... Adequate answers and hope. And so if an atheist or someone who is agnostic or someone who wanted interest in the church or interest about the Bible, they were to ask you a hard question, you'd say, I don't know. I just believe that because I always have. And really what we're seeing with Generation X and millennials is that's not good enough anymore. They want hard, tangible facts. They want to know why they should believe in God. They want to know why you believe what you believe. They want to know about social issues about abortion, about marriage, 
about alcohol, about drugs. They want to know about those things. But the problem is, is that our parents and our grandparents all their lives have said, you just don't do this and you do this. And you have to have faith with everything in between. And there's never been real concrete, tangible things coming from the Bible about how we teach people to live. Amen? And that's a struggle right now in the American church. And here's the fourth thing, is this. Is right now, it seems that Christians are heavenly mixed in with the current culture. Meaning, if you look at Christians, you look at marriages within the Christian church, there's not a real disparity between a Christian marriage and a non-Christian marriage. If you look at Christians' kids, they don't act any real you know, different way than, than people over here who don't go to church. The divorce rates are the same. Abortion rates are the same. All of these different things. People literally look at the church and they go, like number two, what's the point? Like, Why do we do this? Like, Why do we do that anyway? And so the question is, is you believe that those are the things that plague the church? And if so, then like, what do we do about it? Like, how do, how do we make a difference? And uh, with the next five minutes, I wanted to share with you a passage um, that Paul writes to his friend uh, Titus. And uh, Titus was a, a pastor. This is what you call a pastoral epistle or a letter that he wrote. And he, and he, he just gives him some really strong advice in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to put it for you up on the screen. And... Uh, I know that you may be here and your head may be hurting a little bit. You go, man, that's a lot of information. There's a lot of challenges. Okay, well, here's the good thing. My greatest job in coming in this morning was to put a bow tie on all of it, okay, and to give you something to leave here thinking about, chewing on, meditating, meditating, praying about, wondering how do I get involved, how do I be a part, and so this is what it looks like. In verse 11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared. Now, if you were here in the all-in series, when did God appear? He reappeared when? When he sent his son as the incarnate word, as what? God in the flesh. When that little baby appeared, that night in Bethlehem, the glory of God, the Shekinah of God reappeared to his people. And so what Paul says to his buddy Timothy, he says, the grace of God has appeared. He says, if you want to know God, look to his son, Jesus Christ. If you want to know the attributes of God, then you understand who he is. John said in John chapter 1 that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Isn't that what Paul says? Look what he says. The grace of God has appeared. You want to celebrate Christmas? You want to celebrate a new year? You want things to be different than they've ever been for you? Like you want 2015 to be the best year you've ever had? Get this. This is it. You ready? Understand the grace of God has appeared. Put your faith in him. Put your life in his hands for the first time. Quit being the driver of your own story. Quit being the hero of all that you've done. Put your faith in him. Allow him to change your life. Allow him to change your thoughts. Allow him to take all that's been broken, all the chaos in your life, and allow him to make it new and to restore it. And listen, look at me. There are some of you that you come back to church, and I don't know why, but you have. And the one thing that holds you up is that you keep, listen, look at me. You keep looking at the wrong people. Quit looking at the pastors who made it bad for you. Quit looking at the journey group leader or the Sunday school teacher who they, they did you wrong. Look to the grace and the glory of God who has appeared. 
He is perfect. He is the standard. He has not done you wrong. He has not failed you. People have. But if you want to experience God's healing and renewal power in your life, you can no longer look to the people who wronged you. You have to look to the one person who actually made it right for you. His name is Jesus. And that is one of the greatest things that you may hear today. The grace of God has appeared, and he is what you celebrate. He offers salvation to all people. He extended the ladder from heaven so that you would have a way up. He literally came from the heavenly realms, and he dwelt among people who were imperfect sinners, who needed a mediator, needed a way back to the Father. And listen to me, that's why he came. And that, listen, there's so many of you missing it, There's so many of us in here missing it because we keep looking to the wrong people. The standard is not your husband. The standard is not the person that did you wrong. The standard is Jesus Christ. Verse 12, it says, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And so there's really three things here that Paul says. He says, when you see that the grace of God has appeared, when he's your standard, when he's the person you look to, then he says it teaches you a few things. One, you leave your former passions. Do you see what he says? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. The bottom line is this. In 2015, you cannot be all who God wants you to be and continue to live out your own worldly passions. Like you cannot be a good Christian and still have this pocket of area in your life where you want to be in control of. You can't do that. Like, you've done that. You did that in 2014. You did it in 2013. You've done it all your life. There's many of us that you've done it even since coming back to the church. Like, there's still this pocket that if I could just let go of this, if I could just finally surrender this, then God would be in charge. Listen to me. You cannot be in charge of everything you want and also see that God's in charge of your life. It's one or the other. He says you have to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. There has to be a point where you say, God, you get it all. Paul, Paul says to his buddy, he said, that's what it looks like. And he says, and then you live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The word self-controlled there is actually a word in the Greek that means sensible. It's, it comes from the Greek word sonphronos. Sonphronos literally means this. You ever looked at somebody and you go, God, what were they doing? They are out of their mind. You ever looked at, like you ever seen your kids do something and you go, what, what were they, what were you thinking? You, are you out of your mind? That's the word that he uses there. He says, Christians are people who are self-controlled. You never look at them and go, what were they thinking? Were they out of their mind? Did they not approach that with clarity? Christians live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. What was one of the greatest challenges that all of these great men uh, out in America, these pastors, these leaders, what did they say? He said, one of the greatest challenges in the American church is that we seem to what? Live in the culture. There's no real difference. People are looking at the church and they're saying, why should I be a part of it? Can I tell you why people would want to be a part of it? They'll want to be a part of it when they look at you and they see that you live a self-controlled, sensible upright, godly life, and they recognize there's something different about you. The grace of God has clearly fallen on this person, and they are no longer the way they used to be. Did you know that? That's what makes the church attractive. Have you ever been a part of a church like that? 
I have for the very first time in my life here at Stone Point. And listen, it has absolutely nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the grace of God that has appeared. He has fallen on many men and women here. Their lives have been radically transformed and changed. And because of that, people in our communities nearby and far have said, I don't know what God's doing there, but I've got to check it out. And that's the only reason that God continues to manifest himself here. It has nothing to do with leadership other than every day we pray, please, Lord, don't let us drive this thing off of the cliff. And that's literally my prayer every day. God, don't let me be the man that messes this up. Matter of fact, if you look at 2 Corinthians 5.14, it says it's that Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who should no longer live for what? Themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We should no longer live with our own what? Passions, our own desires, but we should live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. And verse 13 gives us the very last thing that we're to do. If you can live self-controlled, upright lives, you, you look for Jesus, you live for Jesus, you leave your former passions, the very last thing is, he says, we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us for himself, a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Did you see what he said? He didn't say he purified us for what? Us. He said he purifies us for himself. See, here's the thing, and I've always thought this. I've always thought that the greatest problem that is posed to us is that we're sinners. But did you know that's actually not the biggest problem that's posed to us? The biggest problem posed to you and I is that God is righteous. Did you hear that? The greatest struggle for all people in humanity is that God is perfect and that he's righteous and that he's pure and, he's pure and that he judges judiciously. He's not the judge sitting on the Supreme Court that you go, what were you thinking? Did you lose your head on that one? See, God doesn't make a mistake. He judges rightly. And what's interesting is, is that you and I are to be judged according to our sin. He judges rightly. And the only thing that makes it different is that he, God himself, would manifest himself in the person of Jesus Christ, who he said, if I'm going to judge judiciously, I either have to judge all these people who have gone astray, or I have to go down to humanity, and I have to be willing to live a perfect life among the sinner and ultimately punish the perfection for the sinner. And that's what he decided to do. And he did that so that you and I would leave our former passions, that we would live upright, sensible lives before him, and so that we would long for his reappearing. That's it. What are we to do? We're to wait and to long for the reappearing of Jesus Christ. And so here's the deal. Jesus is coming back. 1 Thessalonians 4 is a perfect example of that. We're going to meet him in the air. The trumpet's going to sound, and there's going to be a glorious day where we meet Jesus Christ again. And we're going to see him, and we're going to live with him for all of eternity. But until then, what are you to do? You're to live upright, sensible lives. Is that that challenging? Is it that difficult? It's not. But we have to leave our own lust and desires. Do you get that? You have to say, God, I'm surrendering everything to you. Let me just kind of close with this one thing. There was a little boy who, uh, at Christmas, he got a boat. And uh, his, 
parents had given it to him, and it was not one of those boats that was already put together, but it was one of those, that it, it takes you literally a couple of weeks to put together, takes you another couple of weeks to paint it just right, and, and, and this boy, he was excited about it, and upon opening it, it's like he never remembered anything else that he got, but he went and he started putting this boat together, and literally day after day after day, even after he had gone back to school, he would come home, and after he had done his studies, he had put this boat together, he would work on it, and literally after about a month of working on this boat, he finally got this thing together. It was painted, it looked sharp, and one Sunday afternoon, he said, Mom, can I please go put this thing down in the river? And they allowed him to do so, and they, so they drive him down, and, and they go, and there's a little river in their town, and he puts the boat in, and he has it tied to this little bitty string, so ultimately, as it gets out there and it sails, he could just kind of pull it back in. The thing is, is, the wind gusts were so severe out on the lake that it actually snapped his string, and it continued downstream, and he just watched that thing go off into the abyss, and he runs along the bank as much as he could possibly run, trying, trying to keep an eye, a watchful eye on where this thing's going. And it just goes out of sight. And um, his parents get in the car. They search a little bit. But the next day, it dawns on them that there's actually a place further down in the river where it actually hits an embankment. And then there's a, basically a culvert that it could have kind of hit in and maybe it would have stopped there. And they actually go. And the next day, they look and they look and they look and they can't find this boat. It's nowhere to be seen. This boy's devastated. Like, I mean, this is the boat he's invested everything into and now it's gone. And then lo and behold, he's actually walking through town about a month later and he sees this boat sitting in a pawn shop window in town. And he runs in and he is, he's absolutely excited. And he goes, that's my boat. You've got my boat. And the pawn says, that's not your boat, boy. That's my boat. I bought that boat. And he said, no, it's mine. I promise. I made that boat. I painted that boat. I poured into that boat. I'm the creator of that boat. I did everything that I had to do to get that thing ready. Matter of fact, go flip it over and you'll see my initials. And sure enough, the guy went and he grabbed it and he flipped it over and there was the little boy's initials. This boat was beat up. You could tell that it had been through, I mean, quite a bit. But nonetheless, it was his. And the boy said, can I have my boat? He said, you can have your boat, but you're going to have to pay for it. He said, I've got money invested. So the little boy goes home, and he gets everything he has out of his piggy bank, and he just grabs it. He goes to his mom and dad. He goes, Mom, I'm $10 short. I'm I'm like, please, 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 I'll make it up to you. And they give him $10. He takes all of his money, and he goes in, and he says, Sir, I want to buy my boat. And he grabs that boat after handing him the money, and he just holds it. And this is what the owner heard the little boy say. He says, it's twice mine. He said, I created it. And when it was lost and it went astray, he said, I bought it back. Guys, that's the picture of what God has done. In creation, we went astray. And he actually purchased us back. And listen, he did it with everything he had. And you may be here today and you may be going, I don't know if this is the church for me. Maybe you're here and you're plugged in and you're so excited. And maybe you're here and you go, well, I just, I'm like, where do we go? Listen, here's the one thing I know as a pastor. We continue to reach and equip people for Jesus Christ. There is one thing that I know to be true, and that is that there are people who need the hope of Jesus. They're all around us. And our job is to make sure that they see him clearly. And to see him clearly means this. They cannot see a Christian living unclear. 
And so what are you to do? My prayer is that God would make it clear to you. That he would help you get connected. Here, somehow growing. That you would be generous in all that you do. That you would be a light that shines in the darkness. Why? Because Christ is still in the business of buying people back. He's purchased them. He's bought them with a price. And he says, I want them. And we are the church. And our ultimate job is this, to reach people for the sake of the kingdom of God. Amen? And so may that be our mission in 2015. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I pray, Father, that we would be bondservants of Jesus Christ, that we would be debtors. Lord, because you paid such a high price for us, Lord, may our conduct, may our leadership represent all that you've done. I love you. I thank you for today. I pray, Lord, that we would leave our former passions, that we would live self-controlled, upright lives, and that we would long for the reappearing of Jesus Christ. It's in your wonderful, precious name we pray. Amen.